Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is running specific sports physical therapist, Dr. Lisa Mitro. You might be familiar with one of her many informative reels on Instagram at dr.lisa.dpt. She is a go-to resource for all things physical therapy and running. Why does this hurt? Why is this happening to me? And today we are talking specifically about your hip flexors why they feel tight, why they're weak, what you can do about it, and why you should care about your hip flexors in general as a runner. Dr. Lisa Mitro, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. This is going to be a fun episode. So before we get started, I always like to learn a little bit about my guests. So go ahead and tell us about yourself. How'd you become a runner and a physical therapist? Yeah, so I actually knew I wanted to become a physical therapist in high school a little early on. Um, I had the opportunity to go to a technical center my senior year of of high school, and I took a sports medicine class, so I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. I thought it was so fun. I didn't have to take physics in high school, but jokes on me because I had to take two physics in college, but I knew early on, like, working with athletes and specifically like the sports medicine field. I just had so much interest in it and really just like as an athlete in college, like felt that I could connect with them. Um, So I knew pretty early on and then I knew in college I had to get my butt in gear and get good grades so I could get into PT school. So luckily I did find out early on. And then when I became a runner was actually more in grad school because My schedule was absolutely bananas and I only had, you know, 30 ish minutes maybe to work out. So I was like, all right, let me go get some fresh air and exercise at the same time, knock two things out and then get back to my 14, 15 hour studying days. So it's actually because of grad school and just wanting to get outside, clear my head, let go of my stress. And that's how I got into running. Um, I really picked it up once I graduated. I moved to D.C., wanted to explore the area and live near the river. So kind of just took off from there, really enjoyed it and all I had to offer. And that area of the country has such a great running community. And there are pockets of amazing running communities everywhere, but the greater D.C. area is definitely one of them, I think. Yeah. And when I was a new grad working in a sports medicine clinic as a physical therapist, I was pretty much only treating like runners. So I was like, well, you know, I feel for them. I got to experience what they're going through. I want to see the sights. So I was like thrown into treating runners, which was not a bad thing. Just as a new grad, it's a little overwhelming and was able to go out and experience it myself. So it was a (laughs) win-win. So today we're talking about hip flexors. Um, Some of my episodes are a little bit more broad and some of them are really niche. And this is, I think one of those, we're talking specifically about hip flexors because they're really important, especially for runners. And there's a lot of, I think, misunderstanding about 
why your hip flexors may feel a certain way in certain situations or what your hip flexors actually do for you when you're running or when you're just going about your daily life. So let's start super basic. Tell us what are the hip flexors? What do they do? Yeah. So a lot of misunderstanding about the hip flexors. So I'm going to break it down. So let's start with the hip flexor muscles. So you have four hip flexors. You have the psoas major, the iliacus, the TFL or the tensor fasciae and the rectus femoris. So it's important to note that yes, these muscles do flex the hip, but they have other actions as well. So a lot of them also work your hip into that external rotation, which is important to note. Um, the rectus femoris is a quadricep muscle, so that crosses the knee as well. It's the only quadricep muscle that crosses the hip. So those four make up the hip flexors. And like I said, they have other actions. Um, important to note that because when you are running and your hip is going into hip flexion, it's also rotating a little bit into that external rotation. So it's never really an isolated motion of just hip flexion or just hip extension. It's also a little bit of rotation going on in order to go through that full range of motion and that dynamic capacity. See, already people think the hip flexors are one thing. And what you're telling us is that your hip flexors are actually a collection of four muscles that are collectively the muscles that help flex our hip. <laughs> That's where the name comes from, I assume. Yes, yes. And actually the psoas major and the iliacus come down to form the um, iliopsoas. So might be referred to that as well. But um, all the other ones, you know, very important in terms of running, but important to start with, like, you don't just have one hip flexor, you know, all of them are working together when you are running. Um, and definitely can't wait to get down to the juicy stuff, but important to strengthen. <laughs> so in terms of where they are in our hips, because our hips are, you know, have a couple different areas, we have the front side back broadly of our hips, hip flexors are on your front of your hips. Correct. Yes, they are. Um, so actually, interesting enough, the psoas major muscle actually starts from the lumbar vertebrae. So that's also a lumbar stabilization muscle. The um, other ones kind of attach more in the pelvis region um, and then obviously cross the hip, but they are in the front of the hip. So important to note that they're not on the side or in the back of the hip. They mostly sit or all of them sit in the front of the hip and you can kind of pretend like if you were to squeeze the muscle, what would happen? The hip would flex and the knee would come up. So it's kind of how I look at like, what is the muscle actually doing when it's contracting? So all of them do sit in the front of the hip and um, work to bring that knee up. So you're into hip flexion. Let's take a little detour because I want to talk about attachment points because <laughs> it's okay. something that I feel like I talk about sometimes with my runners about the muscles and like referencing the attachment points. So mm -hmm. explain to us a little bit about what, what you mean when you say when it attaches. So a muscle that attaches to a bone. Right. So the attachment points, like the, let's start with the iliopsoas. So that's starting at the lumbar vertebrae and attaching to the front of the femur. So if you can think about where it's attaching, it's a little bit of a diagonal. Um, and that's what works into that external rotation is the fact that it attaches more on the inside 
front part of the femur. And that's how it works into that hip flexion and external rotation. And that's similar to the iliacus as well. It just starts a little bit more on the pelvis region, the inside of the iliac fossa, and attaches to the inside of the um, front of the femur because they form the iliopsoas. So if you can think about why it's a little bit of a diagonal shaped muscle and tendon, that's how it starts to get into that rotational motion as well as the hip flexion. Um, rectus femoris, kind of like similar. That's more of that straight plane though, hip flexion, knee extension. Um, and then the TFL starts at the ASIS, which is the front of the pelvis and attaches to the femur. So that also works in that, I like to say a little diagonal motion because it isn't just doing an isolated hip flexion motion. Most of them are a couple different actions of the same muscle because of where it starts or where it um, attaches in the origin and insertion. The cool thing about the body, and this is my super basic introduction to physiology I did with my coaching um, certificates, is that, you know, you in order to understand um, what the thing does, you have to look at what it looks like and what its action is. And so we talk about this sounds complicated, but if you listener, if you Google a diagram, hip flexor muscles, and just look at the images, you're going to think, oh, now I see. And you're saying like, yeah, I do see how that one attaches to the inside of my knee. And oh, that makes sense now. It all makes sense when you see what it actually looks like. Exactly. And it really comes down to, I remember in grad school, it was just like memorization, memorization. You get out, you're in the clinical field and you're working. And now they're like, your mentors are like, really think about what it does and why it does what it does with certain dysfunctions. And it completely makes sense. Like if you think about how it's the muscle fibers are running, if you know, I always like to think for some reason, if you pinch the muscle belly, what is happening for some reason? (laughs) I think I was taught that in anatomy, but it's just so interesting how, and it makes complete sense. And then you're able to put together why you're feeling a certain way, why certain motions are tight or why you have symptoms with certain activities. Let's start the the one that I hear the most often. Help, my hip flexors feel tight. What should I do? I'm going to second that and say I hear it probably just as often. So let's break this down because it is very, very common because your hip flexors are obviously being used when you're running in order to propel yourself forward. So I, so you can have pain in your hip flexor, you can have tightness. Let's talk about the tightness aspect. So, you know, a lot of runners like to stretch their hip flexor before even coming to me or you and saying, you know, I've tried stretching, it doesn't help, I'm still having pain, or I'm still having tightness, especially in my longer, you know, longer runs. That's when I hear it a lot versus like the shorter runs. So what happens is, so there's two ways to go about it. You first want to see, is your muscle tight or is it actually weak? Because the brain can perceive that weakness as tightness because of how the neuroreceptors are. So usually a weak muscle is lengthened and the neuroreceptors transporting it to the brain make it perceive it as more of that tightness versus your brain seeing it as I'm weak. So you want to first see, is it weak or is it tight? So the way I do this, I'm going to break it down very simple. So is it tight 
let's talk about what's called the Thomas test. So this is a great way to just self-assess and see how your hip flexor feels side to side. So I always like to compare the left and right side, the injured or non-injured side, the tight side or the normal side. Um, so what you're gonna do is you can sit on the edge of your bed and with your butt on the bed. And what you're gonna do is lean your body all the way back. So your back is on the bed and your head's on the bed and you're gonna bring one knee with you. It does not matter which knee, you're just gonna bring one knee with you like a knee hug and the other leg is gonna lay and still be in that starting position. So if you have less than 10 degrees from your thigh to the table, which you're like, how do I know that? Well, if it feels, if your knee's going up to the sky, my guess is the hip flexor is pretty tight versus if your knee and your thigh can just relax on the bed, then your hip flexor is pretty good. And from then you're gonna start over and you're gonna compare it to the other side just to see how it feels in comparison, because if they both feel, you know, a little tight, but you have symptoms on one side, that to me might say, okay, let's look at like the strength of your hip flexor versus, you know, if they're equal on both sides, that's probably not the reason why you're having symptoms on one side. So from there, did the Thomas test. Now you're going to see, is it weak or am I okay? So you're going to put your, I just call this end range hip flexion. You're gonna put your leg or put your foot on a chair. And what you're gonna do is, so your knees bent, you're at that 90-90 hip knee angle, and you're gonna lift your foot up off the chair and you're just gonna hold it for about 10 seconds. Then you're gonna relax it down. You're gonna do that five times. And then you're gonna compare it to the other side. Did it feel harder for you to hold that leg up or was it, pretty equal on both sides. You weren't having that, those symptoms of like that fatigue or that tightness in your hip. And I always like, this is so important, always compare it to both sides and see how it feels. So are you like slowly lowering that leg? You're having control of it over the 10 second hold five reps, or is it just like completely different side to side? Because when you start to compare things side to side, you can learn a lot about your body. And it doesn't take a professional, you know, going to a professional to see how it feels side to side, because it's all about what you're feeling and being able to just see, okay, is it weaker on one side or is it pretty much the same on both sides? So that's going to tell you a lot of insight into, do I need to stretch it or do I need to strengthen it? What do you see from your anecdata? Do you more often see tightness or weakness? Most of the time I see weakness with a little bit of tightness, but I will say that a little bit of tightness should not cause, you know, that really tight feeling to the point where you want to like stop running. A little bit of tightness is not going to cause that. That's going to be more weakness, not to make things complicated, but I see a lot of weakness with a little bit of tightness. I will say a lot of runners have tight hips in general into that hip flexion, hip extension, external rotation, internal rotation. So it might be more of, you know, my hip flexors are a little tight, but they're really weak. Like you will be able to tell, like they're very weak. So majority of the time, 
as a, as a physical therapist, I like to work on the hip flexion strength and then a little bit of that hip mobility just to kind of make sure that, you know, we're covering both of the bases as long as you're not um, like hypermobile, I would say. Definitely focusing more on that strengthening aspect if you are, but most of the time, if your hip flexor is a little tight and it's weak, I'm focusing a little bit on both there. And we'll talk about the strengthening in a little bit, but I want to ask what would cause tightness in a, a muscle group like the hip flexors? So tightness could happen from, well, it could happen from overuse. Um, like I said, it could happen from a lot of the positioning that you're doing. So like, you know, runners do have tight hips and they can have tight hip flexors, but cyclists have a lot of the time tight hip flexors just because of that positioning as well. Um, so it can come from just being in that shortened position for a long period of time or repetitive movement. And that's where things do get tricky. And it's good because you're like, well, runners are in that hip flexion position a lot of the time in a repetitive movement. But that's when you want to look at that self-assessment and really see, you know, what's going on. Because at the end of the day, the tendon in the muscle is able to recoil and it's able to go back to its starting position. So say you sat down at your desk for two hours, it's not going to all of a sudden be a tight muscle. You know, the muscle is able to kind of go back to that starting position and it's not going to take the length just because you were in a hip flexion position for two hours. So that's really, really important to note is that it takes a lot of time in that shortened position for it actually to be a true shortened tight muscle versus like a weak muscle. I had a question that ran along the lines of, I heard that if you spend a lot of your time sitting like office jobs over the course of mm -hmm. years, um, that you can end up with chronically shortened hip flexors. And it sounds like that kind of might be true. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't really think that that's the case. I think a lot of the time it might be more of like your lifestyle versus just sitting at your desk for a long period of time. Because what if you sit at your desk for a long period of time, you know, 40 hours a week, and then you just go home and sit on the couch. Well, okay. That has a lot more to do with like your lifestyle versus like the movement that you're doing outside of the seated position. But if somebody realistically, if somebody's sitting for 18 hours a day for 10 years, yeah, it might impact how their ability, you know, the muscle group. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely might. There's so many factors that are associated with it. It's hard to say like, you know, this is definitely going to cause tight hip flexors, but it, it definitely could like your environment and your lifestyle is going to have a lot to do with how your hip flexors are and if they're tight or weak or whatever. But chances are, if you're sitting a lot, then your hip flexors are probably weak too. All right. Let's talk about that. Everybody's like, yes. get to the good part. Tell me how to strengthen my weak hip flexors. So let's say somebody at home has done the end range motion test. They're like, yeah, I mean, I couldn't even get through three reps on either side. I definitely have weak hip flexors. What would you recommend that a runner do? So I always recommend first getting yourself a resistance loop because those things are gold and they are not expensive and you can take them pretty much anywhere. So a lot of the time, like the, the exercises I do with the resistance loop are more in that stability aspect. Um, 
and really focusing on like the motor control of the muscle. So in order to strengthen your hip flexor, that, that way to check is my hip flexor weak is a great place to start. I would just maybe back it off and do a three second hold for 20 reps or a five second hold for 20 reps versus like seeing it more as a test. Um, another thing you can do just in standing, if you put the resistance loop around the balls of your feet and you just lift your knee up to hip height, hold a couple of seconds and then relax it down. I actually just did this one before coming on. So it's a good one. And then you're going to alternate and switch. And I always recommend doing this in front of the mirror, just so you can see, like, is it hard for me now that I have a little resistance to keep that knee at hip height or am I you know, able to do it, no problem, great. Okay, I would increase the time you're holding it. And there's a lot of different hip flexor um, exercises you can do to strengthen it. That's just like two examples that I like to start with. So I think what a lot of people get confused about when we talk about strengthening certain muscle groups is that what you just rightly described, somebody might listen to and say, that sounds like mobility work. I don't understand the difference. Can you talk about why what you've just described, even modifying the quote unquote test to turn it into an exercise is actual strength work? Yeah, it is. And it's it can be confusing because mobility work is working on the joints range of motion, but you want to go through the joints range of motion as you strengthen and as you stabilize. So it's kind of more of like, what is your goal of this exercise? With mobility work, you're not going to be holding it, focusing on the muscle contraction per se, versus with mobility work, you're working more on how is the, the joint moving through that range of motion and how are my joints feeling? Um, so there's a little bit of a difference there. I do like to strengthen and stabilize throughout a joint's range of motion, because if you think about when the hip, hip flexor is actually being activated, it starts when your hip is in extension and works all the way through to where your knee is in front of your hip, basically. So through that entire range of motion, your hip flexor is activated. So that's why I like to work through a specific range of motion versus just saying, you know, we're only going to work through, you know, 10 to 20 degrees of hip flexion, because that's not realistic for runners. So it is very like runner specific per se, because of the gait and how you're using the hip flexor. So nothing in your body happens independently. And you've, we just talked about how your hip flexors attach to different points of your body. What are other possible, like if somebody says, oh, I feel this in this other part of my body that could realistically be traced back to an issue with the hip flexors or one of the hip flexors. Yeah. And this is where pain gets tricky or tightness gets tricky because you do have something called referred pain. And this is seen a lot, especially on the lateral side of the hip, but also in the front of the hip, because realistically your joint, so every muscle, if it's tight enough, has these trigger points in them, it can cause referred pain. And it's just specific patterns that each muscle has, but also if the joint is stiff or something's going on with the joint, then that can have referred pain elsewhere too. So like your hip joint, your, um, Joint can refer pain to the front of the hip, to the side of the hip, to the back of the hip. So it's always hard to say, you know, that's why it's important to kind of seek someone who's going to look at the whole picture versus 
just what's going on. I'm going to only look at the source of the pain and that's it. You really want to look at the whole picture when it comes to the hip because of all the different things going on, especially with runners, having the lumbar spine involved, having the pelvis involved and the hips involved in such a small area. It's really important to look at the whole picture. Something I feel like when something happens, it happens multiple times. Maybe it's just like the recency bias or whatever it is. But recently I've heard of several cases of what sounded like, oh, my hip flexors are tight. It turns out to be like stress fractures in the hip area, either femoral head stress fractures or mm-hmm. pelvic stress fractures. And that sounds like it's a case of somebody confusing, oh, this pain is happening in this spot and it's not what you think it is. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's important too, like to try not to self-diagnose yourself and it, you know, that's where people can get in trouble is sure. Maybe you're going to try to do some exercises early on, but if it's still not getting better, you know, weeks and weeks, go see a doctor, seek medical attention because stress fractures are extremely common in runners. And most of the time I will say like, if you're having a stress, stress, oh my gosh, stress fracture, then you're going to have pain in that non-weight bearing position. You're going to have pain when you're walking, stair climbing, squatting, everyday activities are going to cause a little ache. And then over time, more and more pain as you put more load through that fracture versus a tight or a weak hip flexor is probably only going to come on when you're running, maybe when you're climbing stairs, maybe when you're going on long, longer walks, including hills, that sort of thing where you're actually activating the hip flexor more and more. Um, so it's important to note that difference between stress fracture, tight hip flexor, weak hip flexor, even a labral tear or femoral acetabular impingement, because those are all common in the front of the hip as well. So if it's not, you know, try this comes back to also try to take care of it early on before it gets worse. And if it's not getting better after a couple of weeks and you've tried a couple of things, then it's, I would definitely encourage seeking medical attention. Does it tell you something when somebody says this is happening on both sides versus just on one side? Yeah, it definitely could. Um, most of the time with the hips, it happens on one side, I will say, because one side is going to be really tight and the other side is going to be have a little bit more of the hip mobility, but it's not going to be as stable. So I see that a lot of the time. Maybe also you'll have... Um, tightness in the front of the right hip and then on the left hip it might be more on the side or the back it's not super common if it's like same place on the hips just because of how the pelvis rotates and the hips work it's usually like you know one side might be compensating and actually the cause of or the source of the pain and the other side's just kind of unstable and it's creating more of that pain because it's unstable So it is kind of that like tug of war compensation between the left and right hip. I don't see, you know, the pain is on both sides most of the time, especially in the hip, you know, knee joints, very different. That happens a lot, but hip joint, usually if one side is tight or painful, the other side, you know, it could be because the other side is really tight and the painful side is unstable. So it's usually 
you know, one's tight and one's kind of like weak and it just comes back to compensation. Yeah. It's the fun part of tracing the origin of the, why is this happening? <laughs> yes. It's one of my favorite games. <laughs> it's like a puzzle, but it is, you know, it really, you know, finding a provider that's going to look at the whole picture in terms of, you know, if you're the pains in your hips or even your knees, you want someone to look at the joints above and below the source of the pain. And if there's nothing above or below, then they should be looking two joints above or three joints above even. I mean, if someone has knee or hip pain, I'm looking at the thoracic spine first, and then I'm moving to lumbar, hips, pelvis region, even ankle and foot. So as a runner, like all of these things are working together. So it's really important to look at whole picture versus just the knee or just the hip. And that's what happens when the front line, it's so intuitive to say, oh, this area hurts. I'm going to stretch this area. And again, I feel like with hip flexors, because you can just stand up and bend to the side and it feels like you're, it feels like you're doing something. It feels like, oh, I'm stretching the area with discomfort. It must be doing something good. Right. And no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so stretching is not bad. People just don't do it correctly. And that's where it gets a bad rep. So research shows you have to hold a stretch for 60 to 90 seconds in order for it to be somewhat effective with carryover. And you do not see that nearly as often as you should. So just noting that, you know, setting a timer for 60 to 90 seconds as you hold a hip flexor stretch, you're going to feel very different versus if you held it for 10 seconds, switch, you know, just going through the motions in a way, just to check it off the list. It's really important to actually understand why you're doing it and you know how often to hold it, that sort of thing, versus just going through the motions. What would be situations where those types of static stretches would be beneficial for a runner with hip flexor issues? So if you did the Thomas test, the one where you're laying on your back off the bed and your hip flexor is very tight, and it's not weak, then I would do the hip flexor stretch for sure. And that you can do it in standing, you can do it um, in half kneeling. There's a ton of different, you can do it in sideline. There's a ton of different modifications, but if it's true tightness, you're going to want to work on that hip flexor flexibility. And you're also going to want to work on the hip mobility as well, because chances are the hip, the actual joint is also tight if it's not able to go through that full range of motion. So sometimes I feel like static stretching gets a bad rap just because because people don't do it correctly, don't understand how to correctly apply it to their training. And I mean, we all grew up playing sports and I remember standing in a circle and stretching before practice and, you know, yep. knowing what we know now, be like, that's not, wasn't doing anything. It's not a warm up. Um, when we are including static stretching into our training, do we need to warm up for that? Do we stretch? How do we stretch a muscle properly? So it's important that if you're doing static stretching, that just means you're holding a stretch for a long or a desired period of time. Uh, in my circumstance, I would desire that time to be 60 to 90 seconds, as we stated before. But it's important to note that before you're doing an activity, working out, running, even hiking, you want to do a dynamic warm up. So that comes to that comes down to more of the mobility aspect. It's just a different way of saying it because you're holding that stretch for just a couple seconds as you go through that joint's range of motion versus a static stretch you should be doing after your cool down 
and waiting for your heart rate to come down. You don't want your joints to stiffen up after an exercise, workout, whatever it is. So that's when you can turn to more of the static stretching for muscle recovery, flexibility, and then doing dynamic warm up before you go through the exercise or activity. And one of the cool things I think about what our body does is when we are quote unquote warmed up for activity is that our joints actually are extra lubricated, right? So there's more like whatever synovial fluid available become like, yeah, super like jointy. And that's why we don't want to do anything cold, quote unquote cold because our joints just aren't in the right space for it. Exactly. So And it also comes down to increasing that blood flow, getting your heart rate going, just the whole cardiovascular aspect, especially with runners. Um, So it's it's really important to obviously joints crave movement and you want, and a lot of that is because of that synovial fluid and you're increasing that fluid, you're getting, you're making your joints happy and you're going through that full range of motion or that range of motion that they want to go through. So it's important to note that a warm up is, you know, it's all it's for the entire it's for all the systems. It's not just for the musculoskeletal system, but you're also, you know, improving the blood flow, getting the heart rate up, getting your breathing going, that sort of thing, right before you start a high intensity activity or exercise. Thinking back to where the hip flexors attach, um, knee issues are very common in runners. And if one of the hip flexors attached to the inside of the knee, does that sometimes cause knee pain, but it's actually a hip flexor issue? So that can be, um, a lot of the time though, the knee, so actually I'm going to backtrack a little bit because so if the hip flexors are weak, then you're not going to be able to get your knee drive as strong through your running cycle through, through gait. So realistically this looks like having a longer stride and not having the certain cadence you would desire to have so maybe you have a slower cadence because you're over striding versus getting that knee up nice and high so you can get a higher cadence so if you have a lower cadence you're actually going to be putting more force through the knee and the ankle the achilles all sorts of things that you don't want to be putting more force through. So that's just another reason why how the hip flexors can play into knee pain, ankle pain, low back pain even because, and then again, it goes back to if the hip flexor is tight, you're not able to get in that full hip extension. So you end up overarching your back to get into hip extension and that can play into that lower cadence too. So it's like really all of it is connected. I know people are probably sick of hearing that, but it really all is connected. And it just, you know, it's kind of crazy how it is all connected and how it all works together. But knowing that if one piece isn't doing their job, isn't doing their role, then all the other pieces are thrown off and they're getting more force through them and maybe they can't handle it. They start to compensate and that can turn into an injury as well. So it's not just the knee, it's ankle, low back, um, posterior, lateral hip, that sort of thing. One of the things we say, oh, you know, if you are overstriding, one of the first kind of frontline fixes is to increase your cadence. But then sometimes runners will say, well, like, I can't, like, I really can't. It's really hard for me to increase my cadence no matter what I do. I listen to the metronome. I have the playlist, but like, I can't seem to get my, my pickup going. I can't seem to turn my feet over fast. 
And you're saying that could be down to a hip flexor issue that is preventing them from getting the hip extension that they need to increase their cadence. Right. And it's so, yeah, if the hip flexor cannot stretch to the point where you're going into hip extension and then contract to the point where you're able to drive your knee up, then you're not going to be able to have the desired cadence you want. You know, you use different muscles with different paces that you're running. So I always like to train. I'm not the fastest runner, but I like to train the muscles like I'm the fastest runner. And the hip flexors are one of them. As you increase your speed or decrease your pace, you're using your hip flexors more. So think about like sprinters. They use their hip flexors way more than someone with a 10-minute mile, for example. And nothing wrong with that. That's just how the body works. You're using those hip flexors more. So if you really want to increase your cadence and you're just like, you know, how do I do this? This feels so hard. It shouldn't feel like the hardest thing in the world. Start by increasing your hip flexor strength and work a little bit on that hip mobility. And then it will come very natural. Maybe you need some cueing and practice it over time, but it shouldn't be feeling like you have to force it into that new running cadence. I always like to ask physical therapists about like the, the, one of the weirder cases they've ever worked with that ended up being something like a hip flexor issue. Is there anything that comes to mind where you worked with a patient where it ended up being hip flexors and it started out in a completely different realm? Yeah, I would say, well, I get a lot of Achilles tendonitis is that, you know, you strengthen, you work on the mobility, it's still there. And it's not there everyday um, activities. It's there when you're running and it's there at the end of the run and on your longer runs. And that comes down to hip flexor strength and hip flexor flexibility, hip mobility. Um, I have had a weird case of like a thoracic spine being tight, which caused the lumbar spine to be tight, the hips to be tight. And it kind of ricocheted into like the hip flexor, which is kind of crazy how it just can literally like, it's like dominoes, like just goes like joint down next joint down next joint. Um, but it really does show like, I wish I had a weirder case. I do have some weird cases in my head, but I wish I had a weirder case for hip flexors, but a lot of the time it does come back to hip flexion and the hip flexor strength. First, but just knowing that, knowing like I always assess the whole picture, it doesn't come across as, as weird now because it's like that's just the pattern of runners. So I wish I had a weirder story. <laughs> I mean, what else do you usually see with hip flexors and runners? Like with the common, yeah, my hip, my hip flexors feel tight or I have pain or discomfort. Um, have you ever seen cases of like actual severe injury to a hip flexor? I have not seen like a I've seen, you know, severe injury as in can't run. I have not seen like a full on trying to think. I have like a tear seen, or a partial tear. I've never seen a hip flexor tear. That would be probably a very traumatic um, event to cause that because I, mean, I don't you know. Like fall off a mountain, you know, our trail runners <laughs> yeah. get into some weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. I would not guess that runners um, would do that when running. I'd hope not. Um, I no, I did not actually. I wish I did. I have a lot of weird ankle stories for some reason, but not really in the hip flexors. Okay. So understanding all of this and how important hip flexors are to runners, even if you're thinking, I don't think there's anything wrong, you probably should include some hips, 
hip flexor strength into your routine. So you mentioned the exercises earlier, like to start out with, but our bodies adapt. Where do you go from there? Let's say you can do the end range of motion test and you've done some band work and you're thinking, yeah, but I'm ready for that next step. Yeah. So if you, let's start with exercise where you have your foot on a chair and you're just lifting it up and holding it. Say that's extremely difficult for you, or you notice that your shoulders are leaning to one side, maybe your pelvis is dropping. It's just not looking pretty. So from there, you're going to want to start with an exercise on your back, kind of like slowing down in order to speed up, I always call it. So let's break that motion down, take gravity out of the equation. So you can even start with laying on your back, pulling out that golden resistance loop that I love, putting it around the balls of your both feet and just performing marches. So bringing one knee into your chest, pulling against that resistance band, and then relaxing and alternating. So once you're good with that exercise, then you can start doing it in more of like a bridge position, just adding a little bit more of that posterior chain activation and the hip stability activation. And now you're marching in a bridge position, I like to say. From there, once you get really good at that, you can even start now in standing again, but take out the chair and just start with your feet on the floor and just start with marching up, not necessarily into that end range motion yet, but just being able to see what your form looks like. Are you able to march your knee up to hip height and not you know, lean your shoulders to one side, drop your pelvis? If you can, great, let's start there. As you progress, you can hold that your knee up at hip height or even higher for a certain amount of time, five, 10 seconds. Then when you get good, you can put a resistance loop around your balls of your feet and then just alternate marching, progress, always progress with adding more time or more reps. Um, so there are a bunch of different ways. Um, and then after that, you can start to work more on like the speed of the hip flexor. So working on like, you know, alternating, tapping your foot on a step or a chair or something like that, like a block where you're just working on that quick activation of your hip flexor. And then you can do that for a certain amount of time. Um, a lot of plyometrics do a lot of hip flexor activation. One exercise that I love is for runners is when you're in kind of like a lunge position and you perform a lunge and then you bring that knee the back knee into a knee drive because that mimics that full range of motion from the hip extension to the hip flexion that you see when you're running. So it's very like functional for runners because that's ideally what you want to work towards is what exercises are going to help me become a better runner where I'm not going to get injured. I can run more effortlessly and feel more like free when I'm running and not get hurt or not have tightness or pain. So those are just some examples. You know, the progression always goes in non-weight bearing, take out gravity, then you add a resistance band or some sort of resistance, hold it for a longer amount of time, and then start in standing. You can start to add gravity into it in standing, and then you can add a resistance loop, and then you progress into going through that full range of motion and then add in more of that quick motions like plyometrics has. So that's just like a small little breakdown of how to really progress the hip flexors. Sometimes I get questions about running and strength training and doing this kind of work. And the question goes along the lines of, 
But if I'm running 40 miles a week or insert number here, why isn't the running enough to strengthen the muscle? Yes, I get asked this a lot too. And it really comes down to the type of muscle fibers that you're activating. So when you're running, you're working on more of your endurance muscle fibers versus when you're strengthening, you're working on those fast switch fibers and working more the different type of muscle fibers. So obviously when you're running, you want to be able to run for a long amount of time or a certain amount of time versus when you're strength training or focusing on that stability, you're really focusing on activating that muscle, contracting it, and then relaxing it. So that's why it's called a fast twitch fiber versus more of like a slow twitch fiber is more of like the long amount of time or that endurance aspect of the muscle. So it's a little different than running. <laughs> that's a that's a legitimate question though. I'm doing, mm-hmm. I'm spending so many hours a week doing this activity. And you're telling me I need to do additional strength training to do the activity that I already do for hours every week. But we also don't use all of our muscle groups equally. Exactly. And you are giving your body a different variety of movement. Even though it might seem like a similar motion, you're doing it in a different way. Running is definitely like, a high impact activity for your body versus lunges or, you know, bringing your hip up or your knee up to hip height. It's a different motion. It's a different movement pattern of the body. And that's when that variety of movement is really key for injury prevention, plus strengthening the muscles in a different way than they might be used to activating is also key for giving your body different movement patterns being able to go through different ranges of motion, different act, different contractions, whether it's concentric or eccentric. And that's going to really play into your running, being a, allowing you to become a stronger runner, faster runner, um, and being able to have more efficiency, more endurance. It's like icing on the cake when you add in strength training. Something you mentioned earlier in, um, reminded me or just prompted me to ask this question. Um, Do the hip flexors play any role in a runner who has severe hip drop? So that is going to come more. It can, it definitely can because with the hip drop, you know, your gluteus medius isn't stabilizing your hip like it should. A couple other muscles aren't stabilizing the hip like it should, but it might come down to the front of the hip being tight and the posterior or lateral aspect of the hip being weaker Um, and not, and it's kind of like that tightness on one side, weakness on the other side, which can lead to hip drop. Um, a lot of the time too, hip drop can come from just poor motor control of those muscles as well. So it might not directly be from hip flexor weakness or tightness, but more so one side of the body is stronger than another side of the body. And that's when you start getting into compensation whether it's the front of the body and the back of the body or the left and right or the inside or outside of whatever muscle group you're or whatever part of the body you're talking about, any sort of like, I guess, compensation can come from the hip flexor being tight, the back of the glutes being a little bit weaker. And that can definitely lead to hip drop or other things going on with the pelvis. That asymmetry, like we all have it. That's totally normal. 
Um, it's just that running is so repetitive. You do something over and over and over again for long enough, and you're going to find out where your asymmetries are. <laughs> yeah. And I always tell my clients, my one-on-one clients, I always tell them, you know, ideally you want your body to be symmetrical. Like, of course we do. Who wouldn't? But that's not realistic at all. And that is okay, especially as a runner. Like I mentioned before with the hips, one side might be tighter and the other side might be weaker. And it's important to just note that, work on your weaknesses, work on your limitations, but it doesn't mean you're going to be in pain just because you know, your one side, one hip is tighter than the other. It's when you get into the extremes that you're starting to compensate and over time, over time of that compensation, you will eventually get an injury. You could get an injury. So it's okay if, you know, you can squat really well on the right leg and the left leg isn't just, you can't go as low. That is very, like, it's very, very common and it's very realistic. So Focusing on what are, and that comes to body awareness, focusing on what are your weaknesses, where are your tightnesses, your limitations in your joints, and just being aware of that, being able to check your form often in a mirror or recording yourself. It's all about like that body awareness, but just know like your body is not as symmetrical as we think. (laughs) And Usually, and every, every runner has stuff to work on, right? Every single runner in the world has something to work on. But thinking back, like you think about a runner, runners that you work with who have hip flexor issues, like pretty clear and obviously, yep, these are weak hip flexors. Is there any other common like pairing where, yeah, runners with weak hip flexors tend to also have this other weakness or tightness or dysfunction somewhere else? Yeah. So a lot of runners with weak or tight hip flexors also have trouble getting into that hip internal rotation. So maybe they can't squat down as far because their hip is not getting into internal rotation. Because like I mentioned before, the hip flexor muscles don't really just do an isolated motion. They have a little rotation in them because of the direction the muscle fibers are running. So if you think about that, like think about You know, maybe if you notice you always cross your leg on one side, I know I do that. And I know that it's harder for me to get into, you know, hip internal rotation on the side where maybe my hip flexor is a little bit weaker. So it's important to note, and that's just being, you know, aware of what's going on in your body. If you note like, okay, it is harder for me to get into that hip internal rotation. It might have a lot to do with your hip flexor strength as well. Let's finish up by talking about the total flip side of this is that somebody who has hypermobility, because actually this does happen. Um, what, first of all, what is hypermobility? And second of all, how does that affect the hip flexors for specifically a runner? Yeah. So if you have hypermobility, you basically have a lot of motion in your joints and you really need to focus on the stability aspect. This does happen and it just happens the same way as you know, tight hips or tight joints happen. So ideally, if someone's coming to me and age can play a big role in this too, because as you get older, your hips and your joints get tighter, but more of that younger population can definitely have hypermobility depending on their background. And so that to me says, okay, your mobility is great. Um, We're going to need to work on the stability aspect and take out the mobility take out the mobility, work on the stability and the strengthening aspect. So those joints feel more stable versus adding in mobility. 
And that comes down to, you know, being aware and looking at the whole picture of the patient and also just, you know, you're not going to be able to really change their ligaments because their ligaments are probably very lax as well, or I don't want to say loose, but definitely have more movement. And so you're going to want to work on the muscle activation, like I said, the stability and the strengthening aspect more than the mobility. Mobility is not going to necessarily hurt. It's just kind of, you know, you already have it, so you don't really need to work on it. And maybe you have, you know, really loose or not loose, but maybe you have like really mobile hips, but maybe your lumbar spine's tight and maybe you get a lot of motion through your hips versus your lumbar spine or your thoracic spine. So having like a hypermobile um, diagnosis versus just one joint being hypermobile, hypermobile is important to look at as well. You know, are all your joints hypermobile or is it just, you know, the hip joint and then the other joints are a little bit tighter above and below that area. So focusing more on that stability aspect, that strengthening aspect more than the actual mobility part or flexibility part is just as important. And I've heard of this more about people who danced when they were younger or did a lot of gymnastics when they were younger and then found running when they're older. Um, and I think, you know, the everyday person thinks, oh, more mobility, more flexibility is always a good thing. And I think we forget that you have to be so incredibly strong to handle that kind of mobility. Think about a gymnast and what they can do and how freaking strong they have to be. Um, that sort, that specific mobility skill set is so unimportant to a runner. <laughs> exactly. And actually, a lot of the time when you have less stability than that or strength, that's going to get you in more trouble than a joint being stiff. So think about, you know, someone who has arthritis and they're maybe a little bit older and their joints are stiff. They might have that one, two, three out of 10 joint achy stiffness versus someone who is like extremely unstable in a joint is going to have way more pain and be way more affected um, because of that instability. So stability is extremely important. I focus on it all the time. And, you know, if you're hypermobile, you obviously want to focus on it. But I will say majority of the runners do have tight hips and they're unstable. That's just like the general, um, I guess, most common thing I see, but it is important to note if someone is hypermobile, don't be doing, you know, hip mobility, focus more on like the resistance bands and the strengthening, adding resistance to really be able to stabilize that joint. This has been fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. Very, very important. It's been so fun to be on here though. I feel like I've been able to really break down a lot of like common myths and really help a lot of runners out. So it's like one of my main goals. So I feel like I accomplished it today. And we were chatting earlier, obviously your content is fantastic. We'll talk about how people can find and follow you and work with you, but you put out wonderful explainers and reels and posts on Instagram and you and I both know it's very, very hard sometimes to cram the complexity of some of these medical topics into 30 seconds. <laughs> yes, it really is. So it's been nice to actually be able to explain <laughs> whatever's going on. So yes, it's definitely hard to be able to explain to someone in 30 seconds what's going on when it took you, you know, three plus years to learn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> so if a runner is listening and saying, I think I could benefit from working with a physical therapist or my hip flexors feel kind of weird. And I, I would rather just get somebody to take a look at it for me. Um, you do have offerings for people to work with you in a couple of different ways. And I'll be honest with you. I think that most runners benefit from working with a physical therapist, even just to make sure everything is okay, because running is something you hopefully want to be able to do for the rest of your life. And running injuries are really common. And many running injuries are actually preventable if you address them early enough. So Lisa, how can people work with you? Yes, absolutely. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Period Lisa Period DPT. Um, and then you can find me also on my website at drlisadpt.com. But I completely agree. You know, you want a physical therapist who's going to look at your whole picture and also understand you as a runner, understand your movement patterns and your dysfunctions. Because, you know, there are a lot of things, like you said, that can be preventable, but also just being able to understand these dysfunctions, these movement patterns, so you can get back to running pain-free or feel stronger as soon as possible. I don't offer a magic pill, but it's something like that. <laughs> I'll be honest. I waited far too long to actually go to physical therapy. And when I finally went, I was like, why didn't I go before? This is amazing. <laughs> yes. It's honestly the best job ever. Being able to help people, being able to help runners, get them back to running. And because a lot of runners do see running as, you know, meant for their mental and physical health. So it's like being able to just feel for them and be like, I'm working my hardest, you know, to get you back, get you running. And it's always just so rewarding to be like, to be able to just read on my phone, you know, I was able to run three miles pain-free. Like, thank you so much. You gave me my life back. So many like rewarding things I hear on a day-to-day -day basis that really lets me know that what I'm doing is helping people. And that's really just makes me keep going each day. And that's, that's such an important part because for a lot of us running is such an important part of our lives. And it, it always makes me, you know, feel sad when somebody said, well, I went to PT once and they told me to stop running. And I say to them, you went to the wrong PT. <laughs> yes, you did. You did. There's a lot of ways you can just reduce your load for running. And then also, you know, focusing on where are your dysfunctions? Why are you having this pain? Also, working on those things and maybe not even having to like rest for three weeks or take three weeks off from running. You know, to me, that's usually just wasted time when you could be doing something because most of the time your injury is from a dysfunction versus like an inflammatory response. So being able to just, you know, kind of pick up on your weaknesses and limitations and really hit the ground running so you can get back to running faster and pain-free and also feeling stronger. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much again. And I'm going to link your Instagram and website in the show notes so people can find and follow you. And if they want to work with you, they can. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you again. Really appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. 
This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.